This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Hey, this is your host, Charles Cook of the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. It's great to be with you today. David, it's a beautiful day. Off air, we were talking about our wonderful gardens, and yours is actually producing, and mine is turning into mush at this point. But the figs are good on the trees, so I do go down and eat some figs every every couple of days, so that's kind of good. Um, we have had some very interesting news yesterday uh, from Donald Trump. I don't know if you remember, David. He's, he's the guy running for president of the United States. Or is he running away from being president? I'm not really quite sure if he's actually running for president of the United States anymore. I think it's a little vague right now for most people. Uh, but yesterday he came out with something he called extreme vetting. Why? Here's a question, David. Why does everything with this guy have to be extreme? Why does it have to be the best? Why does it have to be the most amazing? Why does it have to be the most sad? I you know, does he live his life? You know what I think, actually. He must own the market on exclamation points. <laughs> Maybe he gets a dime for every time an exclamation point is used or, or hyper, yeah, every like time her, hyperbole is used. Colonel Sanders getting a nickel a chicken. Yeah, something like that. Something, there's something like that going on out there. Uh, and uh, so yesterday he came up with this idea of extreme vetting where he is going to vet uh, people from uh, – what do he call them? It's terrorism source countries or something like that, um, uh, or where people have a history of of, of of coming from these countries of doing engaging in terrorism. So it's 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 really, of course, weird. Uh, but he basically wants to have what is an ideological test for immigrants. Now, when people are becoming United States citizens, uh, they. Uh, uh, they become, they have to go through a test, a citizenship test, and pass that test. Uh, but this is something for, apparently, anybody from immigrants to tourists to pass an ideological test. So here's what he said, quote, he framed this as an act of love. Isn't that how we always do it? It's, I'm doing it for your own good, David. Trust me on this. Because I love that he uses the words trust me all the time. Trust me on this. I know what I'm talking about. Well, so far, he's shown himself to be one of the most wildly ignorant people in America. But let's see what he says here. Quote, Pride in our institutions, our history, and our values should be taught by parents and teachers and impressed upon all who join our society. Our system of government and our American culture is the best in the world and will produce the best outcomes for all who adopt it. Okay, I don't necessarily have any qualms with that. Uh, that's, I mean, that's basically what we've been teaching for a very long time. For, you know, for a century at least, if not longer, American laws have been concerned with letting in only immigrants who uphold American values. Um, though the uh, importance of ideological texts text have, you know, they're important and not important, depending how threatened we feel at the time. So here's, here's what he says. Um, Trump actually proposed the following. Additional security screening, Trump called it extreme vetting, for anyone seeking to enter the U.S. permanently or temporarily, short or long-term, immigrant, tourist, or student, and an ideological screening test for people who want to immigrate permanently to the United States. Um, now, this is for right, national security, right? You're going to have national security uh, supposed to prevent people from entering the United States to do us harm. The second is clearly an immigration policy. The first is a security policy to ensure that Americans only have the suitable people of the United States. But 
he can't talk about one without talking about the other. He's not capable of, of doing anything beyond terrorism uh, without saying that the hundreds of thousands of people the U.S. admitted from the Middle East on temporary visas each year. But here's, here's what's weird. Is this, like voter ID, a solution in search of a problem? Um, in order to get a visitor visa in the United States, let's start with those countries in which you actually don't need a visa, the visa waiver countries. Uh, you have to apply online before you go to the airport. Uh, it's called ESTA, E-S-T-A. You have to fill out a rather lengthy questionnaire, uh, and uh, then a, an automatic background check is done by the Department of State, uh, cross-checking to various government agencies, and within typically right away, but within a, three days maximum, you will be told whether or not you're approved to enter on a visa or whether you have to be uh, without a visa or whether you have to be interviewed by a U.S. consular official. Now, for those countries not in the uh, the visa waiver program, um, they have to go through an interview at a U.S. consulate. Now, David, have you ever seen the lines outside of basically any U.S. consulate in the world? They're long. Even with the new appointment system, the lines are quite long. Must be run by the TSA. <laughs> no, you actually you know you know who runs the lines usually? What what they call TN, uh, TCNs, third country nationals. Um, or country national, so they actually the, they might if, if it's the consulate in Mexico, they're Mexican employees of the consulate. If it's in if it's in Bahrain, it's typically Bahrainian citizens. Probably not. They're probably from Pakistan. But get this, Trump said only those who we expect to flourish in our country and to embrace a tolerant American society should be issued immigrant visas. But in delivering the speech, Trump said should be issued visas, which. Since there are 10 million non-immigrant visas every year, and only 1 million immigrant visas casually expands the population to be tested by a factor of 10. Think about this. 10 million immigrant visas a year. This is what I love about Donald Trump. He loves these ideas of subjecting other people to his standards, but he doesn't talk about how he's going to pay for this. Who's going to pay for all this, and how... How does the American tourist industry react? How do American universities react? How do American employers react? Um, my, I'm going to guess we're going to see some really interesting reactions in the next couple of days. Um, but when Donald talks about terrorism, he talks about immigrants or the children of immigrants. That's why he's routinely claimed that second and third generation Muslim Americans don't assimilate. In the Trumpian worldview, this is from Vox, to allow someone who doesn't agree 100% with the American way of life to set foot in the United States is an unforced error. Um, now, Donald's uh, extreme vetting program uh, is actually likely to look exactly like it looks right now. So it's either going to clog the system and hamper the world economy or it's not. So let's see what Tom's going to say. So if elected, he promises he'll ask the Department of State and Department of Home Security to identify regions where it's currently impossible to adequately screen people applying for visas to the United States. He'll then use his power as president to suspend all admissions to the U.S. from those regions until such a time as it is deemed safe, deemed safe to resume based on new circumstances or new procedures. This includes way more than just immigrants. Admissions include literally anyone seeking to enter the U.S. from abroad permanent residents, refugees, temporary seasonal workers, tourists, students, business travelers. 
In 2014, the U.S. admitted someone in the country abroad 180 million times. Now, that's actually accounts for about 40 or 50 million entrants. But think about this. There's 180 different million admissions to the United States at our ports of entry here in the United States. So if Donald wants to add something to the current process, that will impact up to 180 million different admissions. The question is, well, how will it destroy the, the, tour, the $220 billion tourist industry in America? Um, it, it, um, it would be – here's what Teresa, Teresa Brown is a friend of mine at the Bipartisan Policy Center. If we start adding additional criteria, restricting certain types of visas in certain countries, that we may see this country do the same for us. You know, as Americans um, – and these include Western European countries, of course – we're used to, as Americans, just getting on a plane and going. Now, Dave, you don't travel a lot internationally, but I do. And uh, it's rare that I have to get a visa to go somewhere. Very rare. I had to get one to go to Argentina uh, a couple of years ago. I had to get one to go to Brazil uh, last year. But that's rare. Usually, I just get on an airplane just just go wherever I want to go. Want to go to Europe? Great. Want to go to Central America? Great. Want to go to South Africa? Great. Want to go to you know parts of Asia? Great. Um, but that could actually be eliminated under Donald's plan. Or here's the other alternative. It's extremely unlikely that a Trump administration would literally determine that no region of the world has adequate screening. But that raises the question of whether the Trump campaign thinks visa screening is inadequate. Trump on Monday predicted there would be many such reasons and all but said the Middle East would be one of them. That in turn raises the question of whether Trump understands what's done to screen visas now. This is what uh, Teresa Brown said. He claims very frequently that we, we just can't vet people. And, and that that's incorrect. Trump wants immigration officials to check visa applications for fraud. They already do that. He wants officers in the U.S. to revoke visas of people who preach hatred. We already do that. There's no such thing as zero risk in any security system. Uh, and, of course, and is evidenced by making it But right now, agents go through a lot of work before assessing whether someone is an acceptable risk in the United States. Donald Trump, and actually this is where we've talked several shows ago, David, about the Republican Party platform, right? And who wrote that? And where it comes from? It comes from a, a xenophobic, anti-population uh, population control, uh, pro-abortion background of Numbers USA, FAIR, John Tanton, all these crazy guys from the 60s. Uh, and Trump has bought into that hook, line, and sinker. But here's the thing. And I'll give you a great example of this. When a plane takes off, David, from Frankfurt to the United States, do you know what happens to that passenger manifest? Most Americans have no idea, right? You don't know what happens to that passenger manifest. So uh, everybody on that plane first either has a visa or has gone through the visa waiver program, what they call the ESTA program. Same immigration, huh? All right. So the, the list, if the plane takes off, list lands at Customs and Border Protection. Now, keep in mind, it's another government agency. So Department of State has reviewed the visas, and they interact with USCIS on visa issuance. Okay? So, Department of State, Homeland Security. Now, Customs and Border Protection, another agency within DHS, now gets the passenger manifest. They then go through their databases, along with the FBI databases, Interpol databases, and they check every name on that list. They even go into social media. While that airplane's in the air, and when that plane lands, they know exactly who they want to talk with when that plane lands. They know exactly. 
and they got their picture. They know where they're sitting on that airplane. And they watch them walk off that plane, walk down the jetway, walk towards the inspections area. And uh, if they don't have the global entry, which and you're not going to get global entry if you've been on this, if you if you haven't proved to be a trusted traveler, they know what line they're getting into, and who they're going to talk to. And there is a folder waiting at that desk. We call it the orange folder. These used to be orange. Very difficult now. We use the orange folder. So when that person shows up, they say, "Thank you, sir. Uh, have you take we take your fingerprints again to confirm it's you. Take a picture again. Do biometrics again, and then we want to talk to you some further." Please take this envelope, and this officer will escort you to this room. How did this, the wife of the San Bernardino shooter, how did she get, and she wasn't his wife at that point. She came know. in on a, on a fiancé visa. Yeah. So. so she had been interviewed at the embassy. She'd had her background checked. And there was nothing in her background that indicated that she was in any way a terrorism threat. Nothing. David, you know, you, I don't know if you ever had, i tell you a story. Uh, uh, growing up, I had a, a, one of my best friends, a really good kid. Um, and uh, he was a year younger than me. Went away to college. I went away to college. And uh, about a year later, I found out this kid was in prison for armed robbery. I mean, I knew this kid for 10 years. I never could, I mean, he was like Jesus. He was just a sweet guy. Never, and now he's in prison for armed robbery. Why didn't we find out about that when he was younger? Because he hit it. Changed and that happens. So we knew this young woman uh, um, that, that came on a fiance visa. She had been vetted. She had been checked. There was nothing that indicated that she in any way was a risk to American society. But I was thinking about this today. That is exact case, David. Somebody here knew. Remember his buddy, the guy's buddy. That guy knew. Why didn't he say something? You know, this was not a failure of the immigration system. This was a failure of the U.S. intelligence system. Let's take a break here on the Immigration Hour in America's Web Radio. We'll be right back. Si usted ha casado con un ciudadano o tiene problemas con inmigración o tiene una oferta de trabajo, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Con más de 100 años de experiencia en la ley de inmigración, conocemos la ley y sabemos cómo ayudarle. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611, o visítenos al www.immigration.net. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Talking more about Mr. Trump here, um, where he wants to adopt um, an ideological test or background checking. He says this right now: agents go through a lot of work for saying what someone's If Donald Trump thinks the accept, the definition of acceptable is too lax, he still hasn't clarified what he wants to do. This is always the problem with Donald Trump, David. He never tells you what exactly he wants to do. And I think the reason he just wants to talk in in big ideas, big ways, 
And why? Because I don't think he's smart enough to tell you what's going on. He doesn't understand how the immigration system works. Um, he doesn't understand uh, what the background check process is. And I don't think he even cares to understand. That's not important to him. He is trying to use fear to motivate people to vote for him over what, – what does he call her? I forget what he calls her. He, never, he hardly ever uses the words. Oh, crooked Hillary Clinton. He hardly ever uses those words. Uh, without telling you exactly what he's actually going to do or who's going to do it. But we can read between the lines. We look at who is staffing his immigration policy, and he has picked the most ideological, extreme people in the U.S. system to advise him. The most ideologically extreme people in the U.S. system. Now, if his immigration policy is like that, what do the rest of his policy advisors look like? My guess is they are typically going to be the most ideologically extreme people in their areas, whether it be in trade, whether it be in health care, whether it be in, if he even cares about health care, whether it be in any other area in which he has an interest. The biggest problem with Donald Trump is he actually has no ideas. All he has is rhetoric. Now, as you know, I'm not a huge fan of Hillary Clinton. I mean, I know you're looking forward to her being your president. I'm not a huge fan. But at least there's ideas there. You might not agree with those ideas, but at least they're there. You can have a discussion about them. You can critique them. Trump, you can't even critique his ideas because they don't exist. He lives in an idea-free zone uh, where ideas are not welcome to dwell. So if Trump wants to create an ideological test, what does he do? Now, here's the interesting David. We already have an ideological test. If you look at the questions on, the, for example, um, the, uh, the green card application form, it asks you, have you ever been a member of a communist party? Uh, have you, are you a member of a terrorist organization? Now you're laughing, right? They ask that question? Yes. But they also put into the databases our, our friends at the NSA and the DOD and the CIA and the FBI are constantly looking at the web. If somebody has gone online and declared their allegiance to ISIL or ISIS or you know Al-Qaeda, you can rest assured there is an entry about that person in a database that is checkable by the USCIS. And that's how that, that young woman out in, out, out in uh, California, right? Bakersfield, California? I forget. It was in California. Uh, who got through the screening process because she hadn't made public comments before she immigrated to the United States. But there was somebody who did know, and that was their friend. And he he just ran away. He, instead of going to the police and saying, these people are going to do something, and you should talk to them, he just said nothing. And that led to the deaths of 14 of this guy's co-workers. Now, could that have been stopped? Sure. But it wasn't an immigration issue. It wasn't an immigration issue. This was actually an issue of, of, uh, of intelligence and, and policing that need to be dealt with. And frankly, you know, while I still think it's creepy to say this, if you see something, you say something. If you see or hear something that seems strange to you, talk to the police. Now, some, a lot of times that'll be completely superfluous, but you know what? I'd rather have the police check it out than not. How about you? I would rather, I would rather have the police check something like that out. I mean, I, I just think that would be a far better option. Um, but, you know, we used to have these ideological tests, and we have frequently denied visas over the years to people. For example, in 2000, uh, Bush denied a visa. It was a Bush, or it might have, actually it may have been uh, Clinton, 
denied a visa to the head of the Cuban Assembly, their, their parliament, to come to the United States. I did, I did logical tests. You failed the logical tests. Reagan denied visas frequently to people because uh, they were Marxists or communists. We, we had these ideological tests, for, and we still have them in our law. Um, but at the same time, um, we look at the, the, um, the ideological screening test not really being a problem because most of the immigrants that come to America today legally actually have a higher ideological standard than citizens. And that's what I guess what really bothers me about Trump is he'll take the one off, the one outlier, and he'll apply it to everybody else. So, you know, I'll take this tragic case out in California where the the uh, undocumented immigrant had been deported five times. And he finds the gun of a police officer. I still haven't quite figured out the whole gun of the police officer or the is it a police officer or a federal agent? The gun that he he ended up using. I think it was federal agent. So we I mean I'm still very confused about that, David. And was it while the police were talking with him, the gun went off or something like that? It was very strange. But he wasn't aiming at the woman. It was just a ricochet that killed her. It was a terrible guy. It was a terrible, tragic accident. And he shouldn't have been here and he should have been deported again. But you can't take that case and say it applies to every immigrant in America because it doesn't. And we do the same thing outside of the immigration sphere as well. But I see it and live it every day within the immigration sphere. So when I hear Donald talking about this, about how he would create this program um, that is really a what's called a First Amendment free zone. Um, uh, I think it's just terrible for America. I, I don't think it's good for America. We have to do as good as and, the, and a better job going forward on screening people who come to America. But I think we given the fact, David, that there was 180 million admissions last year of foreign nationals, and how many of them did something bad in America? Do you know? No idea. Any? Probably, right? Statistically, it had to be some, right? Sure. But do you know any that committed any act of terrorism? I don't. Well, it depends on I, I don't. What, what, this, what, what, defini- what your definition of terrorism is, right? You know, and if they came here to set up cells and then didn't cause any problems, how would you know? Well, that, that's the question. And how would you know they even set up cells? That, that's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah you know, so basically we, we're living in a supposition world. The, the other extent of that is you can't. We don't have the manpower, 180 million, you say? Entries. That's not yeah. different people. That's that's just entries. So it's somewhere in the neighborhood of about 35 million people, 40 million people. Well, we don't have 35 million agents to follow you around right. when you come into the United States. Uh, that's impossible. So, so so there's only a certain amount of screen. And you have, at some point you have to say there is an acceptable risk, right? Well, I think you have to. Don't we live our life based upon acceptable risk? Minimize the risk. That's that's like driving without brakes. Yeah. Ultimately, you're going to have a wreck. Right. Uh, but even driving with brakes, ultimately, you're ultimately going to have a wreck. Probably. Right. I mean, probably statistically speaking, you have a wreck even with brakes, even with your seatbelt. So there is there's a level of acceptable risk that we live with every day. You go to the supermarket and you buy the food. You're betting your life that somebody has checked that food out, right? You live within a realm of acceptable risk. We do that within the immigration system. So when you gin up fear, now, could I gin up enough fear to say to scare people away from going to supermarkets? Oh, my God. They went to the supermarket and they got E. coli. Don't go to supermarkets. You'll get E. coli. You, you could probably scare enough people to impact the restaurant industry. I mean, the, 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 the supermarket industry. 
did a pretty good job on Chipotle. And they did. I mean, look at Chipotle. It's almost destroyed their company, right? And yet the incidences were minor. I mean, as far as number were concerned. Major for those people suffering from it, but minor in, in sheer number. So we have a habit of, in America, particularly when somebody like Donald Trump is just blowing stuff wildly out of proportion to it, to its really intended thing, what it, what it really means. So Trump once again takes our headlines here, David. I, I'm just curious. Have you seen the recent polls? Have you seen the recent polls? Mm-hmm. All right. Now, Trump is back ahead this morning in Georgia. That's the good news for Donald Trump. He is now four points ahead in Georgia. The bad news is that that's news. That's bad news for Donald Trump, that that's news. Because he should be winning Georgia by a dozen points, right? If he was really a good candidate. But the thing is, Trump is the worst candidate the GOP has ever run, possibly in a national election. Certainly in this in the last hundred years, he's the worst candidate they've ever run. Um, and uh, he literally could be in for a uh, a, a Reagan a Mondale like drubbing uh, going forward. Literally, he could just be completely, absolutely, humongously drubbed. And we're looking at the numbers here. Uh, the last two polls for this one had Hillary in the lead here in Georgia. Now Hillary is so far in front in some states, Colorado. Pennsylvania and New Hampshire, she's actually stopping advertising in those states. Also bad news for Trump, because now she has the money to advertise here. Now, if she spends a dime in Georgia, she'll spend $5 million here. She spends $5 million on ads here, I think Trump's got a major problem. And that bodes ill for, I think Isaacson will still win, but it may bode ill for other down-ballot Democrats, going, uh, Republicans going forward. And so Trump is not actually not just costing the GOP the White House. He is almost certainly going to cost them the U.S. Senate. Here's the other thing I don't get, David. Trump has spent zero on advertising. Have you seen a negative Hillary ad run by Donald Trump? You have seen negative Trump ads run by Hillary, but you've seen no Trump ads. Why? What is he waiting for? He has money. He got $80 million last month, right? Also, by the way, Dave, that wasn't entirely accurate, it turns out. That was between him and the party, not just him. And actually, he got the minority of that money. So, And Hillary's was her money. Um, so you're looking at a massive spending. That I, don't, I don't understand. And then, David, my last question to you is, do the Russians own Donald Trump? What is going on with Donald Trump's finances that he will not release his tax returns? What is the number there that he owes to Russians? I think those tax returns are going to be the key issue in the, in the final month of the campaign, particularly in the debates. Now, somebody said, well, Donald Trump's going to – he'll make everything clear in the debates. My first response was, you think he's going to go to those debates? I am – much like you, I'm a skeptic on a lot of things um, – and you still think Joe Biden's going to get it this race, and I think you're wrong about that. I think Hillary, as my prediction was, Hillary's going to win a year ago. I'm not sure Trump's going to show up to these debates. I'm not sure he's going to last beyond Labor Day at this point. Uh, because if he doesn't start getting numbers up there and campaigning and moving forward, uh, I think the RNC is going to say, we're done. We can't give you any money. You, have to, you want to run for president, it's all on your own. 
We have to we have to save the candidacies of our House and Senate people. We need all our money there. Uh, and uh, there's no. I think I don't think anybody's going to step in and, and save Trump either. I think uh, the GOP is realizing they are gonna, they are down for the count. They are down for the count. Now, what are, what are the other hosts saying, David? Do they they still play paint a lily white picture of Donald Trump as a uh, as a savior of America, or do they understand that Trump is a major disaster for the GOP? My other host? your other host, yeah, your host here. We don't really discuss it. Really, I thought you guys talk about that stuff all the time here. No, nobody. Well, maybe that's why we talk about. Obamacare being a disaster. Fine, but Trump's not going to fix that because Trump's got no plan. So, you know, you can complain about that stuff all you want, but unless you have a solution or somebody running on a solution, it's going to be impossible to fix that thing. Uh, Let's take a break here on America's Web Radio. We're back for our next segment on the Immigration Hour. Soy Charles Cook, el jefe del Grupo de Abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Estoy en su lado. Con más de 20 años de experiencia con la ley de inmigración, conozco cómo ayudarle. Sé la ley y sé que alguna gente podemos ayudar. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611. A las 404-816-8611. O visítenos en el internet. www.immigration.net Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national. Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Radio. David, one of the other immigration things that Donald Trump has talked about is how immigrants drive down wages and um, create higher unemployment. Here's what he said, quote, decades of record immigration, not true, have produced lower wages and higher unemployment for our citizens, especially for African-American and Latino workers. We're going to have an immigration system that works, but one that works for the American people. That's Donald Trump's acceptance speech. Now, if he wants an immigration system that works for Americans, he might want to consider one with far fewer restrictions than he's proposing. It's a great article out of Quartz uh, magazine by uh, Niha Tarani Bagri, which says, and, and it's backed up by actual evidence, something Donald Trump might not understand, immigrants don't cause high unemployment. In fact, a century of data suggests Trump has both his chronology and his causation reversed. It shows that a thriving U.S. job market causes immigration to rise. Quote, Immigrants are attracted to the United States when the economy is growing and jobs are being created for both immigrants and native-born Americans, said David Beyer, immigration policy analyst at the Cato Institute. We should have him on our show. When immigrants come, that's a sign the economy is doing well. And i got to tell you, David, my practice will tell you that. During the recession, the company clients brought nobody in. They didn't hire anybody. When the recession ended and companies started to grow, they realized they needed to bring more people in the United States. But even going back 
going back to 1890, so taking a chart from 1890 to 2015 and looking at the correlation of the unemployment rate um, uh, during that time frame, you see legal immigration rise when the unemployment rate goes down. And it, it, it's really interesting to see the reverse chronology. So the lower the unemployment rate, the higher the level of immigration. So if we go back, for example, David, the height of immigration to America, both in numbers and percentages, was in the 19-teens. So starting in 1908 up through about 1920 or so. And at that point, the years in which we had the lowest levels of unemployment were the highest levels of, of immigration in the United States. And what happens? Immigrants drive wages up and decrease unemployment. So when immigration exceeds the historical average, unemployment is lower, averaging 5.7%. Now, this is just, it's a fascinating read uh, about this. Trump is also mistaken in his assertion that higher immigration results in lower wages. In fact, the opposite is true. In 2012, we've talked about this on our show before, probably in 2012, Economics professors of the London School of Economics and UC Davis, Gianmarco Ottoviani and Giovanni Perry, found that immigration in the U.S. between 1990 and 2006 improved the salaries of native-born workers by 0.6%. The study also looked specifically at native-born workers with no high school degree, the slice of the U.S. population that is commonly thought of as being most vulnerable to competition for immigrant labor, and found in their case there was a small positive impact on the wages of native-born workers. So how does this happen? So they argue this from the Brookings, the Brookings Institute Hamilton Project. Immigrants tend to complement the skill of native-born workers and create new jobs instead of competing for the same finite set of jobs. And this is always the big mistake that the anti-immigration folks like Numbers USA. Numbers USA, what are they talking about? They want nobody to immigrate. They want lower numbers. They're an anti-population group. Uh, what do they want? They say, well, immigrants are taking jobs as if there is a limited number of jobs. They argue that the pie is only this big and does not grow. Now, David, you and Guy, as free market guys, we know the pie is always growing or shrinking depending on the state of the economy. The pie is never static. So the number of jobs in a, in a, in a perfect world is always growing. And as your population grows, the number of jobs grows. And as your population shrinks, the number of jobs shrink. Ask Italy. Ask Japan, which has been in a malaise for, my God, what, 30 years? Why? Population rate. They have no population growth in Japan. They have no population growth in Italy. And without population growth, you cannot, you just economically, mathematically, you cannot grow your economy. So the United States, by having positive immigration contributions, is growing our economy and expanding the opportunities that people have. Um so Trump's other major error in his interpretation of the data is this. Now, again, he doesn't interpret his data. He's getting his, he's getting his numbers from the, the anti-immigration crowd. The record level of immigration he refers to is nothing of the sort, not when you measure it properly as a percentage of population rather than basing it on absolute numbers. If you don't control for the size of population, you're comparing a much smaller country to a much bigger country. It's acting as though you're going to compare the same impact of a million immigrants enter China with a population of 1.4 billion or to the U.S. with a much smaller population of 300 million. By that measurement, the last decades have had below average immigration. In the current decade, for example, per capita immigration has been nearly 30% less than the historical average. So, David, you know, once again, Mr. Trump 
uh, is caught with his pants down and lying about this. Um, he he's complaining recently that he doesn't get enough coverage in the media. And I have to tell you, David, we play in our office a news channel all day long in our lobby. You know, it's just people come in, but my receptionists have to sit there and listen to it all day long. And they have been happier in the last 10 days than I've seen them in months. Do you know why? You're playing on MSNBC? No, no, do you know why? They're de- because the Olympics is on. Ah. So they get to watch the Olympics all day long. And then they'll have to go back and watch TV again and, and the Trumpster talking. And I think it's driving him crazy. I think it's part of the reason his poll numbers are down. Hillary would be lucky to have the Olympics last on November 8th, and she would certainly win the election. Um, but we've got really interesting things happening out there in the world as far as immigration is concerned. There is a group who believes, David, that we're going to have immigration reform in 2017 if Hillary Clinton is elected la presidenta of the United States. And it goes on this theory. Hillary has promised to bring up to Congress within 100 days her immigration legislation. Now, of course, she cannot introduce legislation on Capitol Hill, only Congressman, but somebody will introduce her bill. And if the Senate is in fact controlled, if in fact controlled by, um, uh, by, de- by, this, by, by, the, by Democrats, my guess is this time they will pass an immigration reform bill uh, because if if in fact Hillary wins at the number she's looking at, and the Senate goes back and Democrats not a not a not a supermajority, but they'll have a majority. I think the message will finally get home to Paul Ryan that he will have a free hand in passing immigration reform. Now, I think what's going to happen is going to be really interesting. When Paul Ryan, he, you know, he's every two years he's up to be reelected speaker. It's not like an indefinite. So who's going to be left on the GOP side in the House? And the GOP is going to lose vote. They're going to lose seats. I have no doubt they're going to lose seats in this election. Because uh, they're at a record majority right now. Uh, and I'll give you an example. A friend of mine, Joe Hohenstein, uh, is an immigration lawyer in, in Philadelphia. He's running in a district as a Democrat. Uh, district is 60% Democrat. But their rep has been a GOP guy for the last 30, and for 30 years. He's been in there. And the last 10 of those years, he's moved more and more to be a Tea Party guy. So Joe's running against him. Joe's going to win that seat, I think. And like a lot of other people, he's going to get to Congress and go, okay, let's fix this problem. He's not running on an ideological platform where he thinks Hillary is the, the savior of the world. He's running because he sees America as a place that has been taken over by zealots on both sides. And the middle needs to work together. And I actually believe that Ryan is a middle guy. I don't think he's a zealot. And if you remember, when he was elected speaker, he had to promise the, the what's called them the tail, the tail that wags the dog, the tail, the, the anti-immigration Tea Party guys, that he would not bring up immigration reform for a vote in this Congress, which he agreed to do. And that's why we'll see no immigration reform this year. He's a man of his word. He's not going to do it. But come January... I think he and, and if if he wins re-election as speaker, and I don't think why even he'll have opposition because he's not going to agree to that this time. He said, "No, we need to deal with this issue," and you you have your head in the sand if you think we're not going to deal with this issue. Um, clearly, there are enough votes in the House to pass a bill that would be acceptable to both sides, not to the crazies, not to the anti-immigration numbers USA people, but to enough people that you will have real immigration reform. 
So I actually am convinced that we will have a shot at immigration reform in the next Congress if Hillary is elected, if Paul Ryan can keep his slot as Speaker. Now, if there's a rebellion against Paul Ryan as Speaker, and we end up with some crazy guy in there, then, of course, you're not going to have immigration reform because uh, the anti-people are still going to keep believing uh, that they can somehow use immigration to make the GOP bigger. David, this is something I've been thinking about. Do you remember, you know who Ann Coulter is, right? Okay. Um, she um, said, I was watching Fox in a fit of stupidity one night, I guess, and she was on there. And she was arguing that the reason Romney lost was he didn't appeal to enough white people. She's actually said this on there, enough white people. And that what the next candidate had to do, like Trump, had to appeal to white people so that he could win the presidency. Now, here's what's interesting. There, of course, America is like 70, 65% white or something. Yeah, if you get every white person to work for you, you're probably going to win the presidency. But we know that's not how politics works in America, right? And there is a large number of of, uh, white people that are actually Democrats that aren't going to vote for Donald Trump. Uh, And there are white Republicans, like me, who are not going to vote for Donald Trump because they view him as a dangerous individual. So the idea that you could have enough white people to run an election is ancient history. Yeah, there are there are clearly states where that works. There are clearly districts where that works. But as a country, that, that history is past. And so when you have Trump polling, do you know what Trump is polling with African Americans right now? 2%. Hillary is actually polling higher with African Americans than Obama did. The most recent polls among Latinos, Trump is polling at 20%. Romney was at 27 Among Asians, he is in single digits, Asian Americans, single digits. You simply cannot win an election in America today. You cannot win in a, in a presidential election kind of situation without appealing to people of different races. You need to, you need to move your message to be a post-racial message recognizing the the racial tensions that still exist in America but argue to move beyond them and Trump is refusing to do that. I mean you look at his rallies and you go wow you are you getting a lot of people here but they all look the same. And yes, you have 30,000 people here but you're going to need 65 million. Oh, I got 14 million votes in the primary. Great. All you need is 53 million more to win the election. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. And some numbers that I saw came out today were even more interesting. And I and apparently there's a guy that if you look at the exit polls, they will tell you general exit polls for Romney that he got somewhere in the neighborhood of what was it 63 percent of the white vote, something like that. But those numbers, this guy, this, this person, this reporter delved into, found were actually not accurate. That in fact there were likely twenty more, twenty million more people, white Americans that voted Democrat in the last election than we realized, and they typically tended to be older white Americans who come from the, the classic Democrat mold. So yes, if you're here in the South, older white Americans are typically going to be Republicans, but older white Americans in the North and the Northeast are typically going to be Democrats.
And that has not changed under Barack Obama. They voted for Barack Obama and it will likely not change under Hillary Clinton. So this idea that you can whitewash your way to the presidency is reflective in an immigration context means you will never win the presidency again if that's your only strategy. So hopefully the GOP will kick out people like Ann Coulter who who, who see America in some sort of racial divide uh, in, in racial terms and move it more towards a thought-based approach. What appeals to people? What gets them to vote for you? What do they want to hear? Um, David, let's take our last break here on the Immigration Hour. We'll be right back uh, on America's Web Radio. Soy Charles Cook, abogado y jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Llámenos hoy si usted tiene problemas con inmigración, si ha sido arrestado, si se casó con un ciudadano, o tiene una oferta de trabajo. Nosotros le podemos ayudar. También podemos explicar con, qué puedes hacer para recibir los beneficios de inmigración. Llámenos hoy a las 404-816-8611, 404-816-8611, o visítenos por el internet a www.immigration.net. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. It's great to be back with you. David, uh, this is now officially the most listened to podcast in the known universe. Is that, uh, is that what the numbers show you? We I, wanna, I don't think it's quite there. Not quite there. Well, we do want to thank all of our listeners. And if you ever have a comment or a question, feel free to email me at chuck at immigration.net. Uh, or uh, David, would you give your personal cell phone to people so they can call you directly? No, on, thank you. Call David at nights and on the weekends would be the best time. Usually after midnight, it'd be a yeah, good time. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I, I look at this election, David. And I look at it. I look how immigration is yet again yesterday playing a key role. And here's what I don't get, David, about Trump. What's the most important issue in a national election? What should be the most important issue in a national election? The economy. Safety. Economy, right? Safety and economy. And yet he's not talking about that. He doesn't mention the economy. He doesn't mention how he's going to improve the economy. Now, the thing is, the economy is doing pretty good. Stock market hit all-time highs yesterday. All, all versions of the stock market hit all-time highs yesterday. Dollar strong overseas, which is not really great for our exports, but still good for American business overseas. Great if you travel, by the way. David, if you're going to travel any time in the rest of your life, just do it this year while the dollar is strong, okay, before it, before it falls again. Uh, so... Trump doesn't talk about the economy. He doesn't talk about helping people because he has no plan. He has literally nothing as a plan other than his $10 trillion 
uh, deficit plan he wants to bring by by giving everybody far wealthier than you and I a tax break, David. Um, I, I have to ask you, David, where are you on the death tax, the so-called death tax? I'm totally opposed to it. I'm okay. totally opposed to the capital gain tax. Okay. Okay. Why? Well, because if uh, the death tax, you're, it's double taxation, in my opinion. Sometimes. And, and uh, the same is true with uh, uh, your capital tax. Uh, okay. Cap, uh, you know, that's, I, I, it, it costs me a lot when I had a second home mm-hmm. and I sold it. Um, you know, I, I don't feel like the government didn't make any of those payments. They did not, they but they but but payments. they set up your ability and arranged for your ability to make that profit by paving the roads that went to your house, by educating oh, the people that bought your house. And it was all private, th- David. There are roads to get to your house. There it's were, not all there private. There was roads to not to get to my house, but there were roads to, to get, get to, to your road, road that goes to your house. And the people that bought your house were educated but in the that schools was, that, that the government was, paid for. I'm, I'm just saying, Dave. There's there's a ch- there's a there's a chain that gets to where it is. Here's my thing with the death tax. I'm not. I, I don't like taxes. I think I I don't have a problem with capital gains tax because it's earned income. You're, you're, it's income. People are using it to live on. So I think capital gains should be taxed at the same level of any, of any tax. If you're going to have a tax on income, that should apply across the board. Whatever the, whatever the source of that income is, whether it's capital gains, it should be the same. I think that's just fair. Now, I think it should be lower across the board, but I think it should be the board. The death tax, you know, it's really interesting, David. You and I are not going to pay a death tax. We're not. Do you know why? Oh, we're under $500 million or whatever. Whatever the number is. So the only people who pay a death tax are wildly wealthy anyway. Okay? Now, it they, used don't, they don't pay them. Their families do well, their estate does. Their estate. The families don't pay tax. The estate pays the, the estate. tax. Okay, so yes, you do pay the tax. It's just the state. And if you're at that level in your life, you have ways to avoid the death tax by liquidating access before you die. So, the, the, really, the death tax is paid by 001 percent of the population. Yet it would amount to a billion dollars a year. I mean, it's it's a it's it's a chunk of change. I don't have I, the fact that people that will never pay a death tax base some of their votes on a tax they will never pay is beyond me. That means the rich, the truly wealthy, not the rich, the truly wealthy have done a great job of co-opting people to their side. Now, part of that is the American idea that, well, that could be me one day. It could be my kids one day. Not if the wealthy have anything to do with it because they're going to make sure you'd never have enough money to be there. The wealthier get wealthier in our society. And the middle class get poorer or maybe they get ahead but not by not by a whole heck of a lot so I I, um, I just think that if Trump would talk about things like that he would have a much better chance of winning this election than he currently has which currently he has no chance of winning this election um, uh, and unless he gets off the idea that you can demonize your way to the presidency because I think in America in the 21st century that's no longer possible now, part of the problem, David, is that Trump is the worst presidential candidate in our lifetime. Can you think of a worse candidate? Does anything come to mind? Hillary Clinton? No, no. Well, apparently the public doesn't think so. The public doesn't think so. But isn't that our right to have our own opinion? It is. It is. Well, no, not if you're Donald Trump. You actually don't have a right to your own opinion because you have to pass an ideology test. So you do have a right to his opinion if you'd like it. 
but not to your own opinion. Donald has this love-hate thing with the First, first Amendment. Like, for example, he wants to shut down the New York Times because the New York Times reported that his campaign manager possibly is still employed by the Russians. Um, and um, Donald drinks a lot. That's, that's, that's completely, they should not be allowed to report that. Well, Donald, if it's not true, you have a weapon at your disposal, one you're fully prepared to use every other time, sue them for slander. Of course, you have to prove it's not true. Go ahead, sue him for slander. You know why he talks like that but doesn't sue? Because it's true. Manafort's likely still on their payroll. Uh, let's see. Hillary doesn't ever tell the... Hillary is smart enough to keep her mouth shut. <laughs> Not always. Well, Hillary is smart enough. That's why she doesn't do press conferences. If you were her campaign manager, would you let her do press conferences? No. If you were Trump's campaign manager, would you let him do press conferences? All he does is stick his foot in his mouth every single day. He must have a terrible case of foot and mouth disease. Just terrible. So Hillary is brilliant. She doesn't do press conferences. Period. Great. She doesn't need to. She would need to if she was running against a competent GOP candidate. But she's not. She's running against this Trump guy. David, I think both of, I thought both of us warned the GOP about this guy a year ago. I, I could swear we talked about it last summer sometime. You know, in some ways I don't disagree, but by the same token, the people that came forth to run... It's their fault, right? I'd say they weren't any more competent in many ways than Trump. I agree. Uh, I agree. I or a, I don't think a good GOP candidate has raised his hand or her hand. You know, my only, as you know, I was a big case of guy. And the, the one thing I blame John on, he got in too late. He, he waited too long. And so he lost all the momentum because by the time he got in, there was 1,500 people in the race. Now, most of those were jokes, but at the same time, when you can stand out by saying crazy stuff, that's a problem with the GOP electorate. The problem is we're allowing the minority of the party, because Trump only got 35% of the vote, a minority of the party to pick the candidate. And that's a problem. That That's where reform should come from in the future. And it should be, look, if you, uh, maybe, you know what would be a better thing? There should be a weeding out process. It should be like the Olympics. A vetting? Even more of a vetting. You should have a weeding out process. An extreme vetting? An extreme vetting. Now, that's sad. That's very sad, David. Sad with an exclamation point. Give me $5. I'll use an exclamation point. Think about this. What if it was like the Olympics? So in Iowa, there are 16 candidates. Oh, but if you didn't get 5%, you're out. You're you're excluded. You're gone. So the next race, in New Hampshire. Who's who's first? I forget who's first. New Hampshire first? Iowa first. New Hampshire comes, okay? You don't get you don't get ten percent, you're out. So by the fourth primary, you're down to three or four guys or gals. Now that that is a great idea. You actually don't wait people to get out themselves and suck oxygen out of the room. You force them out. So by the time you're in Super Tuesday, you're down to two or three candidates at the most. And by the time you come to April uh, March you have two people at the most because you've been kicking them out. You didn't get enough. You didn't get enough. You're out. I like that. That's that's almost like reality television. Donald Trump would love that idea. See, if that had happened, I think people would have coalesced around somebody else other than Donald Trump, and we would not be suffering from the Donald Trump-itis that we have today. I got to tell you, I'm also wildly disappointed in Pence. I think Pence is a terrible candidate for vice president. Uh, a second-tier uh, GOP leader at best, 
and uh, at the end of the day, he's not going to do anything to help Donald Trump. And I, and I think he would be just as bad. He, he was actually apologizing for Donald Trump yesterday and indicating that he would release his own tax returns. Now, think about that. Your, your VP candidate's going to release his returns, you're not going to release yours? Wow. That makes you right at the very top of a terrible human being list. So, Dave, it's been a good week. I, next week we're gone. I will be on a fishing trip in Alaska. Uh, I'll bring you back some salmon, David. I hope you, that'll be okay for you. Sure. Hopefully, it's it's going to be raining the whole time we're there, so we don't know how, how the fish are going to be biting, but we should bring back enough halibut and fish to, uh, salmon to fill a few coolers worth and hopefully get about 120 pounds worth of worth of fish out there. And uh, beyond that, it should, be, it should be a good week. I'm really looking forward to it. They have quite a system for sending it back. They do, yeah. as I understand it. They do. Uh, I, I'll be bringing them in, in iced coolers in my uh, uh, in my luggage. Uh, <laughs> they told me to bring. I'm going to there for five days. I'm going to bring two day, two days worth of clothes. We have, we have a washing machine. Save your space for your for your fish going back. So well, be careful with you there. I will. I, I will. Uh, you know, interesting. My father-in-law died, um, and his brother died on a, on a, in a fishing accident on a, on a, on a lake uh, in a storm. So. I, I will be utterly sure to wear my life preserver. Been a great week. Immigration Hour, America's Web Radio. We'll see you guys in two weeks and talk about my Alaska trip. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.